Hello and welcome to I Really Wish You Hadn't. This is a podcast about people and businesses that have made horrible mistakes, have fallen apart at the seams, or have just been generally awful since their inception. They're the kind of people and businesses that make you think, man, I really wish you hadn't. everybody and welcome back to I Really Wish You Hadn't. I'm Michael Bentley and I'm here with Cayman McMahon. Hey. <laughs> Just I forgot. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, I forgot. About- Cayman, this is this is eight times. We've done this eight times now. <laughs> Just I don't know. I was I was really into what you were doing. You're doing really good on this episode so far. You had me mesmerized. All right. Hey, 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 Colin, I'm about to do your intro. Don't okay. I, yes, I'm, I'm prepared. <laughs> All right. And as always, we're here with our producer, Colin Moore. Hey. This is, this is, this is the... <laughs> oh. This is off to a great start. Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. All right. Well, this week we're talking about Converse. That's right. Whether you know them as Converse, Chuck Taylors, All-Stars, No Skids, or some other variation, you definitely know everyone's favorite canvas shoe. Oh, yeah. And uh, honestly, in my intro, I wanted to like make a joke about the stereotypical person that wears Converse, but I don't really think there is one anymore. Oh, no. Everyone has a pair of Converse. You know where I see Chuck Taylors the most, surprisingly? Where's that? The gym. Specifically, people doing like squats and stuff, lifting. Yeah, because they're flat on the bottom. Yeah, they're great lifting shoes. You you say that like there, it's it is an athletic shoe. Like as we're gonna get into, it makes sense that you'd see them at the gym. Cool. So I want to acknowledge a source before this and kind of a lifesaver because Converse is probably our I would say hardest to research topic so far there's actually not a lot of information out there or not a lot of detailed information so we kind of had to you know bust our asses for this one but my source is feet and footwear a cultural encyclopedia by Margot DeMello so shout outs to you yeah I will agree this was definitely the hardest topic to research for so far and I also want to acknowledge a source I was like sitting on the edge of my seat because like oh god please don't say the same thing (laughs) (laughs) but okay we have different sources So mine is a book called Chuck Taylor, All-Star, The True Story of the Man Behind the Most Famous Athletic Shoe in History by Abraham Amador. Oh, there you go. The problem with Chuck Taylor specifically is, as we'll get into, there's a lot of misinformation about Chuck Taylor. So this book is pretty much the definitive source on the actual man and not the advertising icon, which actually leads me to some big news for this episode. Oh. Thanks to my research on this topic... I was able to pay forward all the times that Wikipedia has helped me research, and I corrected a mistake that was on Wikipedia. I am now a Wikipedia contributor. You can go to Chuck (laughs) Taylor's Wikipedia page right now and click on View History, and you'll see my edit right there, Michael Bentley 95. I'm in the history books now, boys. Oh, God. Does this mean that we're actually contributing something to history now? This means I think I, I can call myself a historian now. I think you're you're like a breath away from a tenured professor. This I know, yeah. So you're welcome, America. And the rest of the world. Yeah, I was about to say. I'm pretty sure Wikipedia <laughs> is global. No. Wikipedia's for us. Y'all ready to get into it? Yes, I'm ready to get into it. This story starts as many great stories do. 
with a man almost falling down the stairs to his death. Marquis Mills Converse was born on October 23rd, 1861 in Lyme, New Hampshire. And honestly, up until the founding of Converse, that's mostly all that's known about him. He was the manager at a footwear manufacturing firm, and he came up with the idea for Converse after, like I said, slipping down some stairs while he was wearing shoes that didn't have a rubber sole. So the Converse Rubber Shoe Company was opened in 1908. How did how did he come up with the name Converse? His last name is Converse. Very creative. <laughs> I was going to do this whole bit about like Enzo Ferrari naming Ferraris after himself and then Converse naming Converses. I didn't feel like it was good enough to bring up, but I'm glad you brought it up, Michael. You know, it wasn't good enough for me. Glad it was good enough for you. Oh, oh man. <laughs> At first, the company only made galoshes and other work-related rubber shoes on a seasonal basis. In 1910, only two years after the business opened, Converse was producing 4,000 shoes daily, which for 1910 is absolutely insane. That's just one factory as well. In 1915, Converse decided that it would be more practical to keep their factory open and operation year-round, so they started producing athletic shoes in the off-season. And those athletic shoes are, are very important to the rest of the story. <laughs> so before we talk about anything moving forward, I want to tell a short story. When I was in high school, I had a substitute teacher named Chuck Taylor. And Colin, I, I know for a fact that you were in this class with me, so I'm curious if you remember this. The substitute introduced himself and said, Hello everyone, I'm Chuck Taylor, and no, I didn't invent the shoes. And this was in, I want to say, like, 2010. And the whole class just kind of stared at him because none of us knew what the hell he was talking about. And he was like, you know, like Converse All-Stars. And we were like, oh, you're talking about Converses. So anyway, the substitute's <laughs> joke fell completely flat. But from that point on, I just assumed that Chuck Taylor invented Converse. But as Cayman just said, he obviously didn't. So who the hell is Chuck Taylor, and why do people associate him with Converse? He does have a patch on the side of the shoes that says Chuck Taylor. It's his signature right there. So who is the man behind the shoe? Charles Chuck Taylor was born and raised in rural Indiana, and at the age of 17, he decided he was going to become a professional basketball player. Now, this is in 1919, <laughs> and keep in mind, basketball had only been invented 30 years prior. Like, basketball is a new thing, and this yeah. dude's going to go pro. <laughs> but Chuck Taylor was a good basketball player and bounced around between a few semi-pro teams before finding himself on the Akron, Ohio non-skids. Now, they were called the non-skids not because of their shoes, but because they were owned by Firestone Tires, who sold a tire called the non-skid. Fun fact, the non-skids actually went on to become a founding team of the National Basketball League, which itself went on to become the National Basketball Association, a.k.a. the NBA. What did the team end up becoming? What was the name that they evolved to? I don't think they ended up being anything. I think they just died out. They disbanded in 1941. But basketball wasn't what it is today. At this time, the main basketball association was the American Industrial Athletic Association. And the AIAA was composed of industrial organizations that each sponsored one or more basketball teams or some other sporting team. And companies like Firestone, Goodyear, General Electric, and Carnegie Steel owned teams and would compete with one another. This served two purposes. 
entertainment for the people working in the factories and their families, but also, and Cayman, I think you're going to like this, it got people involved in company-mandated organizations to keep them away from communist organizations like workers' unions. Because also, yeah, (laughs) we're coming back to communism, everybody. Didn't you miss it? Oh, don't worry. I actually get there later. (laughs) Do you really? Awesome. Yeah, yeah, I do. All right. Well, good. I'm glad that. Okay. So around this time, the Bolshevik Revolution is happening in Russia and American industrial kingpins don't want their workers getting any ideas. So they have them play basketball. You ever uh, so afraid of communism that you start treating your workers better? <laughs> yeah, I mean, who knew that basketball was an anti-communist weapon? I'm sure Richard Nixon loved it. Basketball. You boys are going to play basketball. <laughs> so Chuck Taylor, fervent anti-communist. Yes. For, oh my God, he hated him. So... Chuck played for the non-skids from 1919 to 1921 when he was cut from the team after a loss to Carnegie Steel in the championship tournament. Afterwards, Chuck moved to Detroit where he briefly played for the Dodge Brothers. Those are the guys who make Dodge cars. It's Detroit. Ultimately, the team that set his life in motion was the team owned by TB Rail, which was a sporting goods store which happened to sell Converse. After playing a season for the sporting goods store, Taylor packed up again to move to Chicago and work for Converse himself. Now here's where I have to dispel a rumor. The legend goes that Chuck Taylor walked into the Chicago Converse office complaining about sore feet, and Chuck then convinced Converse to create shoes specifically for basketball. This is complete horseshit. The Converse All-Star was already in production at the time and was being marketed as an all-court shoe, as it was also popular in sports like badminton, which apparently was really popular in, like, the 30s. Yeah, Converse actually bought out, and this is later on, I'm not even sure if I mentioned it, but they bought out Jack Purcell shoes, which was a badminton shoe. So, like, Converse actually made badminton shoes, and Jack Purcell's look like Converse's. Well, and Jack Purcell was a was a famous badminton player who ends up becoming a celebrity endorsement for Converse. Right, yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, yeah, so we gotta bring badminton back. I, I love badminton. You ever played that shit? Yes, I'm horrible at sports, and I can play badminton. That's how bad of a sport it is. Badminton goes hard. Badminton goes hard. So no, Chuck Taylor did not convince Converse to invent the All-Star. The reality is Converse hired Chuck Taylor to travel around the country as a former basketball star and hold basketball clinics to promote the Converse All-Star. And Chuck was a great salesman and had a knack for suggesting improvements to the shoe based on feedback from customers. In an interview with the Cincinnati Post, Chuck Taylor said, quote, I'd show up to a college or high school with a sample case and a reputation as a pro basketball player. The coach would ask me to put on a suit and show his players some of my tricks. That got to be a regular routine, unquote. So in his own words, he had this reputation of being a professional basketball player. But that reputation is kind of dubious. Allegedly, he would claim to have played for major professional teams such as the original Celtics or the Buffalo Germans. But both teams say they have no record of him ever being on their roster. And some say Chuck was spreading these allegations in order to sell shoes. Others say Converse was hyping him up to sell shoes. But regardless, as part of his sales process, Chuck Taylor would sign autographs. So he's this like minor, semi-professional basketball player acting as if he's Michael Jordan. And there's no internet to fact check him, so people bought it. 
I was going to tell you to stop dragging Chuck Taylor's name through the mud, but since his name's on the shoe, his name's probably been dragged through mud a lot. You guys are just jealous because I'm funny. (laughs) (laughs) Chuck was such a dedicated salesman that he was on the road constantly. And I mean constantly. The man had no home address. He was in a hotel room 365 days a year selling Converse's. Or I'm sorry, he was selling Chuck Taylors because in 1932, his name was so popular that Converse began putting his name on the ankle patch of the All-Star, which is how Converse's began to become known as Chuck Taylors. You know what this kind of reminds me of? What's that? You know, Chuck Taylor got famous by saying I'm a famous basketball player enough that mm-hmm. it actually worked. And like yeah. it just makes me think of all that, like when people talk about the Kardashians and they're like, oh yeah, no, the Kardashians are famous for being famous. Like, exactly. I feel like if you say it enough, it can happen. Yeah, well, the thing is, like, he's famous because there was no internet. Straight up. <laughs> like, if he walks in and like, he was good at basketball, too. Like, I mean, in his quote, he says like, oh yeah, I would suit up and I would show the players some tricks. Like, he was a good basketball player. I mean, good enough. Good enough to say like, oh yeah, I know what I'm talking about. Good enough to get by with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, the Converse's were a good product. Like, this was in the early 1900s. Oh, yeah. No, Converse's were dope. Converse's were dope yeah. at this time. So, and- I mean... I don't even think that we've mentioned, like, it was the first rubber-soled shoe, and then it was also canvas, like, mm-hmm. holding that together. So canvas is a really strong material. It doesn't rip. These are really solid shoes. So mm-hmm. it's definitely a quality product. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's all those things together, but it's still kind of messed up that he was like, he's just not correcting anybody. <laughs> like, right. he's not lying. He's just yeah stretching the truth. Right. So regardless, Converse is doing really well at this time. But then comes World War II. So yeah, with the outbreak of World War II, American industry was flipped on its head. Whether it be lack of workforce due to the draft, lack of sales due to lower prosperity during wartime, or lack of available materials due to war effort, many companies had to suspend operation, and some even had to close their doors for good. The war effort, however, was good for Converse. Converse had not only started in the galoshes game, but they had the resources and the know-how to work with rubber. Converse would go on to make army boots, rubber diving suits, parkas, and many other protective gear for the military. The most impactful thing that they made for the military, however, was likely their training shoes. These canvas, rubber-soled shoes were distributed to soldiers in boot camp. At a time when most all shoes were made of leather, these shoes were lightweight and sturdy. Many soldiers would go on to remember these shoes after the war, growing Converse's customer base in the post-war market. By the way, if you haven't noticed, Steve Rogers, Captain America, wears Converse's. So coming out of World War II, Converse was on top of the athletic shoe market. According to the Smithsonian, quote, Converse commanded nearly 90% of the basketball shoe business by the late 60s, end quote. Nearly all semi-pro and professional players were wearing Chuck Taylor's. In fact, the Converse All-Stars were the official shoe of the Olympic Games from 1936 through 1968. And Converse was also the official shoe brand of the NBA at its inception and carried on through the 1970s. In 1957, Converse introduced the low-cut All-Star, which appealed to more casual consumers. Then in 1966, Converse began branching out from the standard black and white high tops, giving the choice of color to really make a statement. But their advertising still heavily catered towards the athletic and basketball markets. And to give you an idea of their advertising, Colin, can we play the clip? Yeah. 
We're rolling the clip. A crown to my converse all-star basketball shoes. <clears throat> You're the greatest. That's no jive. You'll stand at equipment on the B Street Five. As I fly through the air doing my famous slam dunk, I'm flying first class, and that ain't no bunk. My shoes will be wearing the Converse name till they bronze my feet for the Hall of Fame. Converse All-Stars, limousines for the feet. Converse All-Stars. <laughs> what year did that commercial come out? I want you to guess. What year do you think that commercial? 75. Fuck off, dude. Yes. It was 75, oh, exactly. Oh, yes. Suck a dick. Yes. Ah! I need one win today. Apparently, I can't get anyone to laugh, but I can predict the past. There we go. Snap. Yes, this guy's a history buff. Come on. But, I mean, it's, it's I mean, just that little, like, bass riff at the end, that, that's 1975. Yeah. Yeah. That, I was like, that's 70s. It might as well just say, this was recorded in 1975. <laughs> like... <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome it's too good oh yeah no that's good so yeah converse is limousines for the feet that's all i wanted to say so in 1968 chuck taylor was added to the basketball hall of fame one year before his death in 1969 <laughs> <laughs> nice nice so, yeah, he may not have been the basketball god that Converse would have you believe, but he definitely deserves a spot in the Basketball Hall of Fame, I think, just because of his contribution to the game. Like, the fact that for decades, the Converse All-Star was the shoe in the NBA and just in basketball in general. Like, if your name is on everybody's footwear, yeah, you get a spot. Yeah, he bullshitted his way into being a star. There you go. And honestly, if you can bullshit your way in, it's just as good as earning your way in. Exactly. Hey, you earn it in your own way. <laughs> oh, remember that, kids. <laughs> you don't have to be good. You just need everyone to think you're good. If you're going to be good at one thing, be good at bullshitting. It will get you everywhere. Exactly. But starting in the 70s is when Converse really started to take off in the mainstream. Films like Rocky showed that these were still shoes built for athleticism. But the movie Grease, which was released in the 70s, but is set in the 50s, it really shows how Converse were being worn by the average person. Many of the greasers in the movie are wearing Converse throughout the film, and greasers were the counterculture icons of the 1950s. And that movement kind of turned into the punk movement of the 70s, which turned into the grunge movement of the 80s and 90s. And who was with them all along the way? Chuck Taylor, all-star Converse. Now, while all this was going on with Converse, another little something was rumbling in the ground. A company called... Yes, Jason Voorhees was there. <laughs> second mention second of Jason Voorhees. Yes, we did it. Second, second Jason reference. A company called Blue Ribbon Sports is being founded in Eugene, Oregon in 1964. The company would buy shoes from a manufacturer in Japan and sell the shoes out of a van outside track meets. So they would sit in a van outside of high schools and wait for the boys to come by. They'd be like, boys, y'all want to buy some shoes? <laughs> Very classy business. Also, what high school kid carries around the money to buy a pair of shoes? Exactly. <laughs> That's another good point. Can you imagine, like, a high schooler being like, oh, good thing I went to school with $120 today. Cayman, this is the 70s, man. It was like a buck fifty for a pair of shoes. Well, I mean, still, <laughs> you gotta think, it probably, you know, equates, actually probably not. 
Probably not. They're probably much cheaper though, relatively. Who knows? I didn't do my research into that. Well, okay. To your point, though, the business was surprisingly successful, and two years later in 1966, the company was able to open their first retail store in Santa Monica, California. They sold these Japanese import shoes for seven years until 1971, when the shoe manufacturer decided to cut ties and find a bigger distributor. In a frenzy to find shoes to sell, Blue Ribbon representatives traveled to a shoe factory in Guadalajara, Mexico, and they put in an order with a design for a swoopy checkmark logo, designed by a college student doing logo work as a side hustle. And the order was placed under the company's new name, Nike. Converse may have held the market with a 90% share of basketball shoes, like Michael said, but the 1970s were coming, and with the 1970s, competition would emerge. Now, you can't really talk about Converse without talking everyone else in the market, so I'm going to try and knock out a few of these real quick. First off is the Dassler Shoe Company, which was founded in 1924 by Adolf Dassler, or rather known as Addy, and his brother Rudolf Dassler. Now, the company originally made running shoes and rose to prominence at the 1936 Berlin Olympics, where they convinced Jesse Owens himself to wear the shoes in his events. Wait, wait, wait. So, so you're telling me that Adolf went to Berlin to do this? Adolf Dassler is at the Berlin Olympics. He goes by Addy. I see why he goes by Addy. Now, see, this is this is actually the thing, because Adolf Dassler may have been a member of a certain party at some point, and Adolf Dassler might have been worried about the consequences of giving his shoes to a black man, but he was like, you know what? If he wins it, then we can just say that it's because the shoes are good, which is, I, I admit, pretty bad on Addy there. Very strong stand there, Cayman. Well, no, 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 no. I mean, it's not strong as said. The thing is, it, I say he was a part of a certain party. He was a part of, like, the Nazi economic party or something like that. So, like... Hold on. But by this point in Germany, you're, you're telling me that you were still allowed to have, like, a Nazi party? This is 1936. Yeah, the Nazi party was in power. Wait, so, hold yeah. on. We're back in 1930. I thought we were in the 70s. We're, what the hell we're happened? back in 1936. You got to keep you got to keep up with me. I'm moving fast. I'm here, I'm there. Just keep up. Where are my Chuck Taylors today? Just kidding. No, I'm not. They suck. Anyways, can't say that. So <laughs> They suck now and I don't have an old Well, I'll get into it. I'll get in Calm down. Everyone calm down. I have the talking stick. So company originally made running shoes rose to prominence at the 1936 berlin olympics berlin's in germany there's nazis there jesse owens is a black man that was faster than all the nazis because being an Aryan doesn't make you better but he wore dassler shoe company shoes which was actually great for dassler because a lot of germans saw these shoes and they saw actually a lot of people were wearing them at the event and they were like i want a pair of those and actually jesse owens said of the shoes i'm either gonna wear these dassler shoes or i'm gonna wear nothing when i run that may be conjecture because that is coming from the dassler brothers that said that so the company took another role with the emergence of world war ii providing shoes to the german military does this sound familiar? After World War II, uh, the Nazis lost, by the way. So wait, hold on. You're saying you're saying that the first sneaker war was Adidas versus Converse in World <laughs> War II. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. And who won? Converse. <laughs> Made in America. USA. 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 <laughs> so after World War II, Adolf and Randolph Dassler had a falling out and split up. Addy Dassler. Because remember, his nickname is Addy. He started his company, which became officially known as Addy Das. 
Addy Dassler. Of course, today this is known as Adidas, because we don't really pronounce things how the Germans want us to. Suck it, Germans. His brother Rudolph's company would become Ruda, Rudolf Dassler. Now, the name really worked out for Addy, but the name didn't quite work so well for Rudolph. So he eventually changed his company's name to Puma. And to this day, both those companies are headquartered in the same city still. So Adidas and Puma continued to focus their bread and butter, which was running shoes, for the next few decades. But 1971, Adidas released the Adidas Jabbar Low, the Jabbar High, the Adidas Pro Model, the Adidas Shooting Star, completely assaulting Converse's near monopoly on the NBA. So those are all basketball shoes. And if you don't know, Jabbar Lows and Jabbar Highs, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is who they're named mm. after. So the Jabbar Lows pretty much became the superstars, the Adidas superstars. I own a pair of those now. The Jabbar Highs essentially became what is now the Adidas Americanas. I also own a pair of those. Not important. Not important. Great shoes. See, see, my shoes all have Velcro <coughs> and, they, and they light up when I step. Oh, that's pretty dope. Well, don't you have the ones with the... Don't you have the, the oh the rollerblade? What do you call those shoes? Oh, Heelys! Fuck yeah! <laughs> I'm surprised Heelys has never made the breakthrough into the into the NBA market. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, yeah, you just go down the court. <laughs> be so many injuries first day. That'd be awesome. So, like I said, 1971, Adidas is assaulting the NBA. They're releasing all sorts of different basketball shoes to break into that market. In 1972, Nike releases the Cortez and the Bruins, and in 1973, it releases the Blazers. So once again, these are all, like, pretty big hits. So Converse sees its lead and the market starts slipping. Puma, at this point, also decided to get on the action with the release of the Puma Clyde. Converse was no slouch, though, and seeing the competition come pouring in, they knew they had to keep pace. So in 1976, they released one of the most popular shoes of the 1970s, the Converse Pro Leather. Now, these are famously known to the shoe community as Dr. J's. Uh, if you're a shoe person, you probably get that. If you're like me, then you had to look it up and figure out what Dr. J's were. This stunt wouldn't save them for long, however, because the 80s were fast approaching. Now, the market in the 80s was saturated, to say the least. Everyone wanted to make and wear the coolest shoes. And most time, these were basketball shoes. These were the shoes that people had their eyes on. Unfortunately for Converse, their brand was staying cool, but it was staying cool with the wrong crowd. So you see... As Michael was talking about earlier, Converse had been taken by the counterculture movement. It had become a shoe for beatniks and punk rockers. Most famously, they were supported by bands like Ramones and the Sex Pistols. By the mid-80s, Nike was dominating the market with their famous Air Force Ones. In 1985, they released quite possibly the most iconic basketball shoe of all time, Air Jordans. And regardless of how cool you think the Ramones are, regardless how cool you think the Sex Pistols are, regardless how cool you think Kurt Cobain is, Michael Jordan is a whole lot cooler, especially to children. I like to say that Michael Jordan did for Nike what he did for the Looney Tunes. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Like the Monstars showed up and challenged him to a basketball game and he really got him out of that pickle. So by the 1990s, Converse was becoming an aesthetic. While their shoes did enjoy some success in skateboarding, that didn't pay the bills that basketball did. With the growing popularity of shoes like Vans, competition was encroaching even in those fields as well. In fact, by this point, Converse had changed hands quite a few times and filed for bankruptcy twice. 
1994, Converse found themselves back in the ownership of themselves. And while this may sound like it's a good thing that they're running their own show, it really meant that they didn't have a parent company or owner there for support if things went bad. Which is what makes their last ditch effort to thrust themselves back up onto the top even more sad. In 1995, Converse decided that it would break into the clothing market. What they probably thought, if I had to imagine, is all the other shoe companies are already there, so we need to be there too. We should also be making clothes. Except for breaking into clothing, at least at this time, that's extraordinarily expensive. You have to have, you know, you have to get factories. You have to hire people to make this stuff. You have to come up with designs. You have to order special equipment. Uh, You have to have an entire logistics empire to ship everything out. And, you know, shoes are one thing, but this is a whole nother thing because you can sell clothes everywhere. And I don't really know if we mentioned this yet, but Converse at this point is still patriotic as fuck. They are still made in the USA, which if you're trying to break into a new market and you're trying to have a clothing brand, it's going to make everything more expensive because it's just more expensive to make things in the US. We know that. So by the end of the 90s, Converse was very badly struggling. Yeah, and... Converse was just kind of being seen as this retro shoe, like they were your grandpa's basketball shoes, which wasn't helped by the fact that their commercials pulled a Tyler Perry and dressed NBA star Larry Johnson up like an old lady to dunk on people wearing Converse React shoes. Hmm. Because Converse at this point was creating different modernized models to try to win back the basketball market. Because a pair of Chuck Taylor All-Stars hadn't seen an NBA court since 1986. But despite their efforts every year, sales were slipping and debt was piling up. And eventually, Converse admitted to itself that it couldn't continue to produce shoes in North America if it wanted to compete with companies that manufactured overseas. And in 2001, Converse filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. And they would begin licensing out the Converse name for third parties to market and sell, meaning that production of Converse was moved to Asian manufacturers. And say what you will, but the company did manage to turn a profit in 2002. However, they continued to be just a small fish in a tank full of sharks. And the biggest shark in the tank was getting hungry. So in 2003, Nike announced that they would be purchasing Converse for $305 million. And it was a wise investment on Nike's part. And honestly, it was a good deal for Converse, because they would maintain their identity as Nike announced that Converse would not feature Nike branding. So Converse was going to continue as Converse, Nike was going to continue as Nike, they would just be under the Nike umbrella. And Cayman, I think you're going to disagree with me here, but I think that business-wise, this was a great deal for both parties. Converse was never going to be able to get back to where they were. Like, they were never going to be able to compete with Adidas or Nike or any of those players. And you know what they say, if you can't beat them, join them. And under Nike's direction, Converse has grown to a brand that makes billions annually. No, no, no. Since 2003, like Michael was saying, Nike has grown Converse into a powerhouse. You can't deny that. When they bought Converse, their sales were sitting around $200 million a year. Fast forward 13 years to Nike's fiscal year 2016, Converse sales have ballooned to nearly $2 billion, or about 19% growth per year. Now, this has flattened out over the past couple of years, but still $2 billion dollars is insane nike has done its best to embrace the counterculture movement around the converse shoes even releasing a campaign in 2008 where famous wearers of the shoes such as sid vicious janice joplin james dean and billy joe armstrong had personalized converses for sale for sale more like selling out 
<laughs> there aren't all of those people dead uh sid vicious is alive i know for sure okay i was about to say can you still sell out if you're dead well yeah yeah because all of them were dead at this point in time i think except for sid vicious i'm not sure about billy joe armstrong regardless this campaign helped converse reach a 29 percent increase in year over year revenue so that's a huge bump up Converse has also tried to reveal new shoes on the market in recent years with sort of mixed success. The Chuck Taylor 2s were released in 2015. They were supposed to be like the Chuck of the modern era. They had more padding, they were kind of redesigned, but its design wasn't loved and it was discontinued after two years. They had much more success in the release of the All-Star Pro BB, which has brought the brand back onto NBA courts. So you may be thinking now, Nike buys Converse. Converse is selling great now. Win-win, right? That's what I said. Well, in my opinion, <laughs> in my opinion, no. Hey, you remember when I said I think we're going to disagree? Yeah. This is this is where we disagree. Damn it, Michael. Okay. So this is the point in the episode where I turned my I really wish you hadn't on because Nike has a long history of being an awful company. And to start off, let's talk about sweatshops. So since the 1970s, Nike has been getting heat for their exploitation of overseas sweatshops, where the workers were paid pennies on the hour in dangerous conditions. Many times these shops even employed children. Typical sweatshop. Now, Nike had a strategy for about 20 years of straight-up denial. But with the rise of the age of information in the 90s, Nike really started coming under the spotlight for this. A story came out that a Vietnamese subcontractor ran women outside until they collapsed for failing to wear regulation shoes. And this is pretty common of all the stories that were coming out at this time. And I could come up with quite a few. But Nike just repeatedly stated that the conditions of its factories are not its problem as they're subcontracted. Well, that's <sighs> bullshit. It is bullshit. Can, can I ask a question? Yeah. And I'm really, I'm really not trying to make a joke. I'm not trying to like make light of this situation. It's awful. Right. But sweatshops have regulation? <sighs> apparently, yes. <laughs> and apparently you can be... Re they have regulation shoes. Again, I'm not I'm not trying to make a joke. I'm really not. I get it. I get it. But couldn't they just make some regulation shoes? <laughs> They're valid points. And I get why you're stressing so much that you're not trying to make a joke. I'm really not. I'm just saying it is a place that makes shoes. It's so, well, that's the thing. It's so ridiculous. It's comical. It just sounds ridiculous. Yeah. It's a place that makes shoes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's ridiculous. And I think it's one of those like discipline things. It's it, it, that's how these sweatshops work. Like they like humiliate and tear down their workers. If you're enjoying your job, they're going to tear you down. That's like the typical sweatshop. That's how they operate. So, and like I said, Nike has said that's not the problem because they're subcontracted. That's bullshit. You're employing them. You're employing them to make your shoe. Right. You should know what your subcontractors are doing. Yeah. If pull out, you know, it's just like firing them. If if they're doing this stuff, it's your responsibility. You're the one giving them the money. You're the one funding this operation. And I hate that. So amid protest and declining sales, Nike's co-founder, Phil Knight, took a stand against unjust employment practices in 1998, saying the Nike product has become synonymous with slave wages, forced overtime, and arbitrary abuse. I truly believe the American consumer doesn't want to buy products made under its abusive conditions. And that's what Phil Knight said about the company that he founded. 
I've got to say, I don't think he was right because, <laughs> as we all know, Nike Nike did not see a dip in sales. Yeah, yeah, not real. Well, I mean, they kind of did in the nineties. So, as part of this, Nike audited its over six hundred factories in the mid two thousands and scored each factory on their working conditions. Those that scored lowly were told to make improvements or risk losing their Nike contracts. Luckily for Nike, most of the factories that they used were given an A or B rating by Nike. (laughs) So, was anything fixed? Well, let's think about it. The Workers' Rights Consortium is an independent labor rights organization founded in 2000 by universities, international labor rights experts, and student groups, including USAS, to ensure that products bearing university logos were made under conditions that respected workers' rights. In 2015, Nike denied the WRC access to any of its factories after they released a report showing that their workers suffered wage theft, verbal abuse, and were made to work in over 90-degree Fahrenheit conditions where they frequently collapsed at their sewing machines. According to the report, workers were also regularly fired from its factories if they attempted to unionize. Tying it back in. I was about to say, yeah. (laughs) Basketball, yet again, being used to bring down the unions. So I could go on and on. Like, there's so much stuff about Nike and all of its sweatshops and stuff like that. I could talk about things like, uh, for instance, in 2017, The Guardian reported that in Cambodia, in just four Nike supplier factories, over 350 workers collapsed in a span of three days. Hmm. I could also talk about how in their Vietnam factories, they found that there were restrictions on workers' use of toilets, exposure to toxic solvents, and padlocked exit doors. But I think that you can get my point. And really, if you don't get my point, keep looking it up. And if this is the kind of thing that doesn't disturb you, then that's fine. Let's talk about something else. Wait, that's fine? (laughs) No, that's not fine. If you don't see what's disturbing about this, that's not fine. (laughs) No, it's disturbing. If you're you're absolutely cold-hearted and you're still thinking about running out and grabbing a pair of Nikes, a pair of Converse's, then let's talk about something more practical. Let's talk about something that pertains to your cold-ass heart. Quality. Nike has a reputation for poor quality, and unfortunately, now Converse does too. Now, I could read off numbers to try and give you something, but there aren't a lot of numbers out there. Unfortunately, with the tennis shoe world, with the the sports shoe world, there's a lot of conjecture. There's a lot of people saying like, oh, I'll wear Nike still, I die, Adidas are garbage, they all fall apart. Oh, I'll wear Adidas still, I die, Nikes are garbage, they all fall apart. Regardless, so let's not get into that. Let's just bring up a few real world examples to drive our point home. So I'm going to use some very recent stuff. Make sure I'm not pulling out anything that could have been fixed recently. So the furthest one back I got is in 2015, Eliud Kipchong, who is a runner, was on pace to win the world's fastest time at the Boston Marathon until his Nike split and the insoles fell out. Now he still finished the race, but it cost him a pretty big lead and hurt his feet pretty bad. Another one, after signing an exclusive deal with the NBA to produce all of their clothing and whatnot, the jerseys provided by Nike consistently ripped apart during the 2017 season. I mean, you can look this up. It happened to multiple huge players. It happened like once every few games, someone's jersey would always tear because they were cheap. They were cheap. They were crap. Zion Williamson, which if you don't know Zion Williamson, he's projected to be a, a huge basketball star. He's very good at what he does. 
here's the thing. I do not do sports ball. Even I know who Zion Williamson is, and I know the story you're about to tell. I'm pretty sure if I know it, literally everybody knows it, but tell it anyway. (laughs) So in 2019, Zion Williamson's new Nike basketball shoes ripped apart in the first minute of a rivalry game against UNC, causing him to miss the rest of the game due to a knee injury. And you can look this up. They're obviously brand spanking new shoes, and they literally, like, the sole just came off. They evaporate. Like, (laughs) So, I mean, these are all very public things that you can look at. You don't have to look at user reviews saying, like, oh, my shoes tore up, like, the second day I had them. And, like, you know, they could have been running too rough, something. These are real-world examples of Nike being cheap. So, my point is, is this really what we want for Converse? Is it worth it? We've taken them. We're making them in a different country. We're making poor quality shoes that are made in sweatshops, abusive conditions. Converse was an excellent company. And now it's going to become something that's not. Now it's just Nike. And I don't want Nike shoes. I don't want to wear Nike shoes. I don't care how much I love old Chuck Taylors. And I used to have a pair of Chuck Taylors. They're fine shoes. But, you know, you got to look at the price that you're paying for this. And I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, everyone should boycott Nike, whatever. If you like Nike shoes and you're fine with it, go buy Nike shoes. Whatever. I don't care. The thing that I hate is that we sit here and we praise Nike like they're so fantastic. And they are a terrible company. And they're a terrible, terrible company. And you might say, oh, well, the other shoe brands do this too. You got Pumas. You got stuff like that. And yeah, that might be true. But that doesn't mean that I like Pumas. And you can also make the point that, oh, well, that's how they keep the prices so low. Is that they have to use these workers. You can still buy plenty of shoes made in ethical conditions, plenty of shoes of quality, plenty of shoes made in the U.S. And it's not even about being made in the U.S. I don't care. They can be made in China as long as they're not being made in sweatshops. You can buy ethical shoes for the same price. So what's Nike doing that their shoes are being made so cheaply and they're still so expensive? It's bullshit. They're just a money-hungry, awful company. And I don't want my Converse's to come from Nike. I'm not going to buy Converse's from Nike. Screw that. I do own Adidas, but you can look up Adidas. Adidas does a lot better than Nike does. Adidas lets third parties come in and check out their factories. So I, yeah, that's my big thing. Nike, I really wish you hadn't. I understand that we save Converse, but is it worth it? Well, now I feel like a dick. Thanks a (laughs) lot, Cayman. You should. I would like to retract what I said earlier. Uh, Fuck Nike. Yeah, fuck them. Converse should have died. It should have died. Uh, well, I mean, and you say, you know, go to another brand. They should have died a hero, not lived long enough to see themselves become a villain. I, I'm with you. I'm with you. You yeah. got me. You've convinced me. Let's go boycott or, or yeah. protest or something. I don't know. Whatever the kids are doing these days. <laughs> oh, uh, hashtags on Twitter. Hashtags. Hashtag. <laughs> hashtag Nike sweatshop. Tweet it out. Do it. Do it. Hashtag not my converse. <laughs> all right. So if that was all I have. I, I got a few closing notes, but you know what? I've been talking for a while and I'm a, <sighs> I'm a little heated. So Michael, do you, do you have any closing notes that you want to say so I can chill out for a second? Uh, no, Cayman. I don't have anything because I am a <laughs> lazy sack of shit. Okay. Well, then I'm okay. just going to have to go into this heated. You just, you just keep, you just keep going. Uh, Wilt Chamberlain scored 100 points wearing Converse's. That's right. In the single game scoring record in the National Basketball Association, he scored 100 points for the Philadelphia Warriors and a 169 to 147 win over the New York Knicks. March 2nd, 1962. Wearing Converse's. What other shoe has caused a basketball player to score 100 points in a game? Zero. 
Converse, best basketball shoe of all time. Also, Wilt Chamberlain slept with over 20,000 women in his lifetime. I don't believe that. I don't believe that for a second. That's what Wilt Chamberlain said. Yeah, I'm sure he did. Wilt Chamberlain said that, and then near the end of his life, he said, what's a decimal point between friends? So, (laughs) although he was a big fan of three ways, so, you know... You're bringing your stats up with three ways. You can knock out multiple at once. Like two. Okay, even if he said 10,000, I still wouldn't believe him. So if he had 10,000 three ways, it would not matter. Well, no, it wouldn't be 10,000 three ways. I'm saying 10,000 women. You know, three ways, you're taking that down. So that's only 5,000 times having sex. People have sex 5,000 times. Maybe he just attended a really big orgy, guys. That's true. It could have been that, Michael. That's boom. I... You gonna go on the record calling Wilt Chamberlain a liar right now? Yes. That man scored 100 points wearing Converse's. <laughs> the point that I was originally gonna make was okay. Whenever Chuck Taylor was playing basketball, there wasn't even 100 points between the two teams. <laughs> like yeah. the final scores were like 40 to 50. Oh yeah, but see, Wilt Chamberlain was actually an athlete. You see, Wilt Chamberlain <laughs> was out there just making love, just left and right. <laughs> Hey, man, it worked out for him. Worked out for him. Oh, let's see. I had another uh, side point here. Oh, in 1973, when Puma entered the basketball market, they were actually a lot smaller than Chuck's, and they were smaller, kind of kind of smaller than Nike at the time and Converse, but they still made a pretty big impact because they were the first shoe brand to actually pay players to wear their shoes. Mm. That's how you know you have quality. So, like, Converse and Nike, like, at Adidas, they would give their shoes to people for free. And that was, like, the payment. Like, we're going to give you a free pair of chucks because you're good at basketball. But then Puma started the whole, oh, yeah, we're going to give you shoes and we're going to pay you. I think the first thing that they paid was, like, $5,000 for someone to wear their shoes. Yeah, they suck, but you get money. Well, that's a huge part today, though. Like, that's yeah. basketball players make a shitload of money off their shoes. And now you can make a shitload of money wearing Converse's. Yeah. Yeah, Kobe wore some in like 2002, I think, or something. It was a big deal. No, well, I mean, no, the, um, here, what are they called? One second. The uh, All-Star Pro BBs are still there. Uh, are they the ones that I said look like Venom from Spider-Man 3? <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah, it's the All-Star Pro BB. Yeah, it's the black Converse All-Star Pro BB. I just don't think Michael's ever seen a mesh shoe before. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, I don't really see it. I I guess I kind of can see it. The Venom costume kind of looks like a mesh shoe. I don't know that these shoes look like Venom. I think it's more that just the costume looks like a mesh shoe. I don't see it. What the fuck are you talking about, dude? I still don't see it. I think you're just talking about the mesh thing. Right. He just hasn't seen. I guess he's never seen a mesh kind of shoe. Yeah, they're pretty common. <laughs> <laughs> really common yeah user disconnected from your channel oh he left the channel <laughs> okay well we're not even done with the episode he has to come back <laughs> i'll do the outro oh. it's fine user entered your channel <laughs> no i'm back i gotta i gotta think was there anything else i had to say i think that was it you know there's only so much you can talk about talking about shoes and we're really out of our element here we are not sneakerheads at all Mm-mm. we're not sports people what the hell were we thinking like, I bought my first pair of sneakers in, like, 
probably seven years recently and i got honestly two pairs of adidas and it wasn't you know i tried to make myself sound like i'm all ethical it wasn't specifically because they were ethical it was because i have like really wide feet and it's hard to find like extra wide shoes well adidas are already kind of naturally wide so my feet fit in them without having to get too specific this is quality content (laughs) this is quality content all right cayman why don't you tell the people where they can find us because I didn't write it down. Oh, God. Fucking <laughs> User disconnected from your channel. Oh, he's gone again. <laughs> I'm doing the outro, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Just cut in one of my other ones. No, I'm not cutting in one of your other ones. Do it <laughs> All live. Right. <laughs> All right. All right, guys. If you want to follow us, you can follow us at IRWYH Podcast on Twitter. You can follow us at I Really Wish You Hadn't on Instagram. And you can shoot us an email at podcast at I really wish you com. So remember, keep those shoes on and wear shoes. All right, nice. <laughs> I really wish you hadn't is hosted by Michael Bentley and Cayman McMahon. We are produced by me, Colin Moore. <laughs> uh, intro music by Attack Story. The music you're hearing now is also by Attack Story. Uh, the cover art is by Nickator. Um, what else? Is that everything? Don't remember, don't, don't remember to do anything Michael's has done. Yeah, don't do, don't do anything that Michael's ever done, or, or don't do anything that he, he wouldn't ever do. Don't do those things. Do, don't do what Michael wouldn't ever do. Take all the things that Michael wouldn't do, and don't ever do those. Take those things, and don't, yeah. al- also don't do those. Don't